Welcome to Short Course, episode 123, for February 2nd, 2024. I'm your host, Ben Barry. It has now been a little over a week since the two-part, 10-hour January board meeting, and I thought it would be good to give something of a recap of that. I think I know a lot of you listening watched parts or all of the live stream, uh, parts or all of the recording, but I thought I would cover the highlights in as condensed a form as possible. Uh, it's, it's hard to condense 10 hours into 20 minutes, but I will do my best. Sorry for my voice. I am once again getting over being sick. Uh, having a, uh, a three-year-old who goes to preschool twice a week is everything it's cracked up to be, but I'm excited. I'm optimistic, which was not the case after the first half of the board meeting, but let's dive into talking about that. So in the last few years, the January board meeting has been an in-person meeting somewhere in the country. Last year was in Florida. Years before that, it's been at SHOT Show, but the idea was it was a two-day long weekend board meeting. That did not end up happening, although it did end up being uh, a two-day meeting with sessions totaling five hours each day, so not far from it. But uh, all things considered, I'm still glad I was at home and not in, uh, not physically in a conference room in, in Las Vegas when all this was going down. We knew the agenda was going to be full, figured it would be a typical five-hour board meeting, and it kicked off at seven with wrangling, as I talked about in the last episode, with the bylaws related to live streaming. And what ended up happening is we went back and forth. There was this bylaw 5.9, which relates to the guest policy. And I said, let's just write a guest policy and vote on it right now that says we can live stream. And then we can just wave 10.2. And that's exactly what we did. That's not in any of the live stream recordings, obviously, because we hadn't voted on it and the minutes haven't been posted. But if you uh, in the second half of the meeting at the beginning, we read the minutes from the first half and you can see it's it's mentioned in there. So it's just a real simple policy that basically says the president or the managing director can invite anyone to the meeting and then everyone else is accommodated as a guest as uh, through the live stream. Boom, done. So that took about half an hour. We spent about 10 minutes getting over set up on the live stream. And then the, the first action that, that we actually took live streamed was electing Area 8, Russell Fortney, as the vice president. Vice president is elected from among the area directors by a majority vote. And so it had to be somebody who, at the time we had seven people on the board, somebody who could get four votes. And he seemed like a reasonable enough compromise candidate. So it was, it was actually kind of weird. If you look at the live stream, making motions and seconding was really slow all night. And so I ended up either making or seconding a number of motions, including this one. I, I, I seconded this one just to just to get things rolling. I was I was shocked. Like nobody wanted to, to speak up. It was it was weird. But that's when everything went off the rails. So we're 40 minutes into the meeting. It's it's 740 Eastern time. And we're going on to the next agenda item. And Donna interrupts to point out the there was a, an agenda item around board member eligibility. And to make a very long story short, the contention was that there were some gaps in the in Frank Rizzi Area 7 in his membership that would make him ineligible to be a candidate. And the point that I made was, well, he's not a candidate anymore, so those gaps don't matter. Bylaw 7.8 that refers to a member of the board being considered to have resigned immediately as soon as they don't meet the requirements to hold office the uninterrupted membership requirement is not a requirement to hold office, and therefore he is not considered to have resigned immediately. And the other side was making this argument that, well, if he was an illegitimate candidate, then he can't possibly be a legitimate board member, fruit of the poison tree, that kind of that kind of argument. 
And it just didn't, it didn't make any sense to me. And so I was, I was kind of, I made a point of order. I was like, there's nothing to vote on here. Let's just move on. And, and that went nowhere. And then we, we ended up going in and out of executive session three times in the course of this. And basically what ended up happening is a motion was made to, to violate the bylaws. And I made a point of order on that saying we Robert's rule says you cannot violate bylaws that do not provide for their own suspension. So bylaw 10.2 says it can be overridden by a three-fourths majority. Great. We can suspend that bylaw. Other bylaws that don't provide for that cannot be suspended no matter the size of the vote. And Jim on the live stream, attorney Jim was saying, well, you know, you can do it with the two-thirds. Unanimous would be better, but you can do it with a, with a two-thirds vote. And so that's what was put up. And uh I abstained because I just, I couldn't stomach. I, I didn't want to be on record as going along with violating the bylaws because I knew that that vote, someone would point to it later and say, well, you voted to, to violate the bylaws there. And I just, I didn't, I didn't want to even step a toe in those waters. So I abstained. That vote failed. Of course, there was no way we were going to get two thirds of a vote to allow Frank to stay. And the outcome of that vote was basically... Layton and Russell took that to mean, well, Frank is off the board. And so they made a point of order that Frank should be excused and he was removed from the meeting. And that took two and a half hours by the time in and out of executive session, vote this, vote that point of order, this, that it was, it was 10 o'clock at this point. And I mean, I was, I was, I was pretty shocked. I, you know, we'd spent all this time arguing about nothing. We'd gotten to the second item on the agenda but we went, we went through and just kept going and ended up going through all the committee assignments, which in retrospect, the, the way we ended up doing it was talking about each committee and nominating a slate and then having a vote. There are probably ways in the future we could speed that up, just have a, have sort of slates that are proposed. And if anybody wants to move to amend the slate, you know, do, do something like that, because I mean, it's, it's, it's a fairly lengthy process that was pretty uncontroversial, although what the the takeaways are I ended up being appointed as the chair of the bylaws committee, which is currently just me with further appointments to be staffed and also the chair of a newly formed discipline committee. Same situation. It's just me with appointments to be staffed. And the idea is there are there are a few committees that are required per the bylaws to be staffed by elected directors but the rest can be and should be staffed by members so that we can actually farm work out to trusted advisors and not have the same eight or nine people on the board trying to, to do all the work. And so the idea is I am now in the process of gathering names and, and trying to gather folks to recommend to, to nominate, to be on these two committees that I'm, that I'm chairing. Now, obviously Frank was, because he was removed from the meeting at the time, he was not put on any committees. So, and spoiler alert, he ended up, he ends up coming back. And so we'll have to figure that out in a, in a subsequent meeting. So, uh, he, either he'll be on, or maybe he'll, you know, take over some of these, some of the, some of the committee assignments. So, so that's all still up in the air to some degree, but I did end up getting appointed as, as the chair of those two. And then I am on the rules committee and the audit committee. We then got to the next agenda item, which was following up on the report from the vote to require everybody last year, all the sitting directors at that time to take a polygraph. 
all in the interest of catching the leaker who they ended up deciding was was Scott and booted Scott based on other evidence. So the polygraph wasn't used in that case, but there was still a an outstanding report now that that whole process was done, which Jim gave to the board. And I was the only one who really asked any substantive questions. And basically the takeaway is Ted, because he was the president, was, is an employee. He did not take it because you can't polygraph employees. And Bruce Gary, Area 1, had resigned before he took his. Frank and Scott refused to take theirs. But everybody else apparently went to some local testing center and sat for a polygraph test. Jim said he did not have the questions. He did not know exactly what questions were asked. But that the, the whole thing ended up costing us basically five grand. So you can go back and look at the recording of that. I, I asked sort of all the questions that I thought I would be interested to know as a member. But obviously the whole thing was um, a, a shameful chapter in our history and hopefully is never to be repeated. And it was at this point at 1030, almost 11 at night. We've been going for obviously over three hours now. Starting at yeah, starting at seven p.m., and I was expecting to go to midnight, and it's you know getting up close on eleven, and we get to the agenda item on appointing the interim area one and area three candidates, and the committee that had been appointed to gather the names for the interims was Russell as chairman, and then Mel and Layton, and Russell had sent out an email saying, "Hey, we've heard back from the section coordinators. Here are the names they recommended. I think we should go with them," and they were people that seemed like the they were actually chosen by the by the section coordinators and so that that seemed reasonable enough and as he starts talking i see an email pop up in my inbox saying oh actually we're changing the names and then he goes through and he gives us all explanation about how well we don't want to give people who are serving as an interim an unfair advantage in the election which is i mean that that's an argument that could have been made at any time but anyway the upshot was he was basically saying the committee is changing our recommendations and instead of the people who the, the section coordinators recommended, we're actually instead substituting for area one, Bruce Gary, who's the guy who literally just resigned a month ago. And for area three, Sherwin Greenfield, who was the guy who had been area three and then became president when Foley got kicked out in 2021. And so he had been on the board basically the, the whole time. So basically instead of the new candidates that the section coordinators had recommended, we're going to bring back guys that were on the board for years two people who are in fact named defendants in Joe Rakowski's lawsuit against USPSA, we're going to bring them back, even though that's not who the, the section coordinators said they wanted. And if you watch the, the the video, you can just see my face. I'm laughing. I just, I, I cannot, I mean, after the whole thing with Frank, I just, I cannot believe that this is real life. I cannot believe that this is happening. And just, and, and I have to say, I mean, the, the fact that this whole thing was live streamed is such a godsend. The fact that people got to see this happen in real time, to see these th this kind of antics where there's this this veneer of, oh, we're doing this for the members, but actually, no, we're just going to put the guys who've been in power for literally decades. I mean, Bruce and Sherwin have been on the board for more than 10 years each. We're going to put them back in. It just, I, I just, I couldn't believe it. And so it goes to a vote and there were six of us on the board at the time. So... Area one was vacant. Area two votes yes. Area three is vacant. Area four votes yes. Area five votes yes. Area six, me votes no. Area seven, Frank had been kicked off the call. And so he didn't get a vote. Area eight votes yes. And Yemen abstains. So it ends up passing four to one with one abstention. 
And then the, the last the last item of business was Donna saying that she had negotiated with the person who so when when Joe Rutkowski filed his lawsuit in the fall of last year sometime, I think August, October, something like that. When you go to file a lawsuit, you have to make sure if you're suing a company, you have to make sure that the company still exists. And what he found was USPSA's corporate registration in the state of Delaware did not exist. It had been expired and voided for failure to file our paperwork in the state of Delaware for our our annual reports and whatnot. And when that came out, somebody went in and used Delaware system, you know, because they're very business friendly. I guess you can register a, a company under whatever name you want at any time of day or night and used basically registered a new company using the old USPSA name. And that meant that when you, when USPSA went to file the paperwork to revive the Delaware company that, that we were incorporated under, we had to revive under a different name. And typically this would mean going through and changing, you know, it's it's like if you, when you change your name after you get married or, or any, any other reason where you have to go get a new driver's license and everything else. Well, for a corporation, you have all kinds of paperwork and bank accounts and legal policies and everything. And at the time it was, you know, assumed that, that all those had been changed into the new name. And then Donna announces that she was able to, I sounds like she talked to the guy who registered the name. I don't know if he gave it up or if it just, it, it, it lapsed because no bylaws and certificate of incorporation were filed within a certain period of time with Delaware. Basically the name became available again and we were able to switch it back. So we're back to the name The USPSA is incorporated under the name that we have had since I think 1986 when we were originally incorporated. So I guess that's good. Hopefully nothing comes of it in the sense of us having had a period where we were operating under one company name, but all our policies and, and bank accounts and everything were in a different name. That'll be interesting. But at that point we'd been going for over four hours. We were not even halfway through the agenda and Yemen called for a recess for until two days later, which I think everybody was happy for. It was obvious we weren't going to get through everything in an hour or even two. And again, we were four hours into the meeting. So it was called there. We recessed for 48 hours until the evening of Wednesday, January 24th. And the emails were nuts. I I mean, by my count, it was something like 60 or 70 emails to the board in, in 48 hours between the two meetings. People, I mean, people were watching the live stream and even the people that weren't watching heard secondhand from people that were, you know, nor- normally with a, with a meeting like this, it would happen on Monday and nobody is allowed to say anything. Even the people that are on the meeting per the bylaws, you're held to confidentiality until the minutes are posted Friday afternoon. Well, when we waive 10.2 to allow live streaming game on, right? People, people were, people were watching it live. There were, I was seeing memes posted in real time. I mean, it was, people were very aware of what was going on and the effect was noticeable. And luckily having the the 48 hour interval gave me time to do some more research, some more digging, some more Robert's rules research. And as soon as we convened the meeting on Wednesday, I, before I even got to the first, so the, the meeting was convened on Wednesday with just the six of us because Frank was still considered ineligible or whatever. And I, I made a point of order that I had, I had prepared 
based on the dates that had been sent out about when when his renewal was and what the bylaws were at the time that his candidacy were was accepted which at the at the on the day he was accepted the bylaws had not yet been changed to require three years they only required two years and he met that two-year requirement so i i showed this i showed the bylaws i, I had a you know, Word document with everything sort of on the screen so everybody could see what, see all the facts right there. And Frank ended up getting brought back into the meeting. He made a, a separate point, which I think is also logically valid, which is that there is this system where when you, if your membership, if you don't pay immediately, so he did have a lapse a year or two before the, the time period in question. And when he finally paid, he wasn't given a year from the date he paid. It was backdated to a year and a day after when his membership previously expired. So his point was, I paid for a year and I got 10 months. And then every year after that, I paid less than a year after I last paid. And so I can't see how I could possibly be out of compliance if I'm paying less than 365 days ahead of time. And so uh, he, he had a good point. I had a good point. It all came to a, a point of order that was well taken by the chair and Frank was back. And before we could go on to anything else, Mel spoke up and resigned. He just said, basically, I've lost my, I've lost the joy of, of shooting. I just want to go back to being a regular competitor. And as far as I'm concerned, fair enough. You know, I, I don't, I don't have any, any ill will toward him. He, he, he wants to just go back to being a regular guy. No problem. He, he, he bowed out. He let us know. And, and that was it. And I actually, uh, anybody who was paying attention, it, it was a, I actually had a, something else cocked and ready to go. So I, as soon as, as soon as Mel was gone, I made, I re, I sought the floor again and made another motion, which again, I, I could do under Robert's rules because this is a, a, a motion that can preempt the agenda. Basically, I made a motion to reconsider regarding the start date that had been appointed for the interim area three director at the time. And I basically pointed out we have a we have an a pending request with our Delaware law firm about whether the bylaw seven seven is legal. If we go ahead and see if we find out that it is illegal and we have seated a replacement, then unwinding that gets a lot more complicated. We're not in any particular hurry. It's better to wait for the legal opinion, go slow and steady. There's no rush. I mean, the, the bylaws do dictate certain timelines around soliciting the name from the candidates and the board voting on appointing someone, but there's nothing in the bylaws that the person has to start within a certain number of days. And so I, I made the point that we should hold off on having the interim area three director actually start until we got that opinion back. And that motion, now that Frank was, Frank was back in the meeting and Mel was gone, that motion passed three to two with one abstention. And so at that point, it was looking like we have a, a path to bring Scott back, depending on where the 7-7 vote goes or where the 7-7 ruling goes. And there was some Leighton raised a point of order about that, basically saying, well, now we're now we're voting to disobey the bylaws, which, you know, we just spent all this time saying we couldn't do. And and I basically made the point that I just made about well, we're not violating the bylaws. We're still following the process for seating an interim director. But if it turns out that the bylaw in, in this case is illegal, then we we are duty bound by our fiduciary duty, which includes the duty of obedience, which is the duty to obey the law. As I read on a previous podcast, we're, we're duty bound not to not to follow that process. And so 
slow and steady. Let's wait for the legal opinion from our lawyer, which will actually settle things. So that was the end of that. And then, and then we just went, we went onto the agenda that, that took, I think it was something like two hours. It was, again, we had started at seven o'clock. I think it was nine or nine 30 at that point. And so we'd gone through the all told all of this stuff around, uh, Frank and the interim directors. I mean, it, it took four or five of the 10 hours of these meetings. So obviously a huge time sink, but I'm glad we were able to get Frank back. And so then we basically went through, Jake had a report about a bunch of things related to classification. He was proposing to revise the policy on when a match counts as a classifier, which basically would change it from just being based on number of participation, number of participants in the division to number of participants in the class, which as we discussed it more created a scenario where you could have a match with three GMs that place 90% or above, but it would count as a classifier for a class people, but not M class or B class, just because they, any class, it didn't get 10 people in the class. It wouldn't count for, which the more we talked about it, the, the more it, it gave me pause. And so we ended up, we ended up uh, shelving that one for further discussion. He had brought up a proposal around creating a distinguished grandmaster classification, which basically would be if you very similar to IDPA's distinguished master classification, where basically you either win nationals or come within a certain percentage of the person who does win nationals. Again, it was one of those where I, I thought, okay, this is a big change. Let's why do we need to vote on this at you know ten thirty at night after we're in hour eight of this board meeting? What's the, what's the hurry, you know, let's put this out of the membership, get some feedback. And personally, you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily a, the biggest fan of these multiple choice surveys. To me, when I talk about getting feedback, what I'm looking for are emails. I'm looking for someone writing out and saying, Hey, here's, here's what I support. And here's why, here's what I, here's the experience I have. Here's the scenarios that I've seen. Here's why I think this would or wouldn't be a good idea. Because to me, those logical arguments carry more weight than just a, a numerical straw poll. We're not just an Athenian democracy where everybody just drops the white bead or the black bead in the jar or whatever. Our job as directors is to hear all the arguments, weigh the, the pros and cons, apply our own understanding of rules and bylaws and everything, and then put forth what we think is, is the best path forward. So to me, when I talk about getting feedback, by all means, send me an email. Let me know what you think. Don't just, I mean, if they put out a survey, sure, vote in the survey. To me, the surveys should always have the little text box for you to actually explain what you think. If anything, just just the text box, I think would be a perfectly good survey. Yes, it would take more time, but again, just, just putting out little survey monkey surveys and just taking what 51% of the membership wants to me is not, is not really leadership. So anyway, there was that. Um, there was some discussion of the new production 15 hit factors. I, I raised some questions around how we could use a process to gather data to, to get more accurate hit factors and, and use the data that we were given that didn't really go anywhere. There were some new, there's some new classifiers that are being proposed. I guess there's two of them that are more kind of field course style. And then there's a, a set of three that are each Virginia count three string each string is some kind of some some six shot bill drill variant, which they're supposed to be indoor range friendly and 10 round state friendly. But to me, when you tell me, hey, we're, we're adding more three string Virginia count classifiers, I'm like, 
yeah, that's nobody's nobody wants nobody wants Virginia count. Nobody wants three string. Nobody wants box to box classifiers. Uh, so that that's a really puzzling one to me. But uh, we'll see where that goes. And then we went into the rules review. So basically the rules committee chaired by Troy had looked through the competition rules, what used to be called the handgun rules until we added PCC. They'd looked through the handgun rules, the multi-gun rules, and the steel challenge rules and come up with a list of recommended changes. And we had, the board had, had been sent the, the proposed changes. We'd had over a week to review them. I'd read through them, made notes on the ones that I wanted to talk about. And so once he had read through each one, I, I, I raised my hand, sought recognition and, and brought up the various concerns that I had. Some of the changes went nowhere. I mean, by this time it was, I think 11, especially with, with some of them. So we did steel challenge. I think we did steel challenge first, I think, and then multi-gun and then competition rules last. And to me, the competition rules were the ones that needed the most discussion. But again, we were nine hours into this, this board meeting It was four hours into this one. And I think everybody was kind of ready to go. So it was kind of the situation where it was not the best environment to be having these drawn out nuanced discussions, but there were, there were a number of points that I disagreed with. Uh, one of them being the fact that there was a rule that had been on the rule book for a long time. Maybe as long as I've been in the sport, I'd have to go check my last paper rule book from 2014, but it said that arbitrations should be forwarded to headquarters and posted on the website. And I wanted us to do that. I wanted us to actually post the arbitration so people could see where the rules that we're having issues, where are they and how are, how are arbitrations being resolved? That got nowhere. And so that rule has, has been removed. The rule still says that arbitration should be, should be sent to NROI. I don't know if that's actually happening. It kind of sounds like it's not, but, uh, whether it's happening or not, they will not be posted on the website that that rule has been removed from the rule book. So, um, and then there was a, a bunch of other stuff around, trying to change the rules about taking off your belt with a holstered handgun on it, which I know that's more of a thing in multi-gun. I, I have some reservations about that. That's still playing out. We'll, we'll see where that goes. But anyway, we ended up, you know, in not, not literally the 11th hour, but in, in, in past 11 PM Eastern time voting to pass a bunch of this stuff. Uh, I made sure before we wrapped the January meeting, I made a motion wasn't on the agenda because we didn't know it was going to happen, but uh, to, to go ahead and make the announcement of the Area 4 special election so that we could set the cutoff date for candidates to file so that we could set the dates for the election and just get the ball rolling to actually get Area 4 an elected replacement because, you know, yeah, having an interim is great, but the sooner we can actually have the special election and, and get somebody popularly elected to represent Area 4, the better. And I knew it would be a month before our next regularly scheduled meeting, and I didn't want to add an extra month to that. So I, I thought that was going to be the last thing. There was one more final thing around a proposal to allow adding optics and revolver, which I think ended up going to a, it basically ended up being, oh, okay, let's send out a survey type thing. And then we, we were finally wrapped at 12, 17 a.m. So yeah, the first session of the meeting went seven to just past 11 second session went from 7 p.m to past midnight obviously i was i was still pretty pretty keyed up after that but i uh, had to had to go to bed and get up for work in the morning but that was that was the end of that what we found out since then is that both of the 
interim candidates that were presented as replacements in the in the first meeting. Bruce Gary has declined to serve as Area 1. Sherwin Greenfield has declined to serve as Area 3. So the rundown right now, there are currently six members of the six of the nine seats on the board are filled. So Area 1 is currently vacant, up for a special election this year. We'll see what happens with appointing an interim uh, since the first interim that was voted on has declined to serve. Area 2 is... Layton is is still serving. He's up for his regular election this year. So the cutoff date for that, I believe, is May 1st. And the election will start in, uh, in I believe, June or July. I should know this off the top of my head, but uh, it, it'll, be a, it'll be a regularly scheduled election. Area 3 is currently vacant, pending the, the, the legal opinion coming back from the Delaware lawyer. Area 4 is vacant. The special election was announced on January 30th. The cutoff date to file to run in the special election will be 30 days after that, so March 30th. And the election will start 45 days after that, so middle of May. Election will run for 30 days. If it goes to a special election, then there'll be another, I think, 45-day period before that election starts, and then it'll run for another 30 days. So if if there are more than two candidates and no one gets 50% plus one vote, then it'll be an extra... 75 days until we have an interim seated. So again, wanted to get the ball rolling on that as soon as possible. So area four is up for special election. Area five is up for normal election this year. Area six, me, I have four years remaining on my term. Area seven, Frank Grizzy has three years remaining on his term. Area eight, Russell Fortney has four years remaining on his term. So even though he's been on the board for six months or so, he was appointed early because he'd already won the Area 8 election, but technically his actual proper term, he was serving out the remainder of Ted's term. So his actual term started January 1st, just like mine did. And then the president, Yimin Lin, his term also, he has four years remaining on, on his term. So Area 1 through 5 are in various states of flux, and then 6 through 8 and president are hopefully pretty stable for, for the next three or four years. And I did... Uh, I did have, as I mentioned on the, the podcast before the meeting two weeks ago, I did have a bylaws amendment that I had put on the agenda to be voted on at the January board meeting around removing the requirement or remove, well, it's really more of a prohibition, removing the prohibition on either area directors or president from holding office if they've been removed from the board under 7-7 or been the subject of discipline under 413 just because, like I said in, in the previous episode, I just don't think that it's if people are elected by their area, they should be allowed to serve. The, the, that kind of disciplinary issue should be should be figured out during the election. If someone was removed for good cause, then that should be something that's brought up during the election. It's not something that that should be used to prevent someone from running. My thought at the time was this, you know, was potentially a way for. Scott to be eligible to run because he could just run in the special election and get reelected since he's massively popular in area three, as it was with the, with holding off on the the area three, the seating of area three and the, the legal opinion, the, it made sense just to that, that ended up, that bylaw ended up getting referred to the bylaws committee. Yes. Of which I am the chair. But I, I knew we didn't have the, the three quarters majority vote to, to pass it. So it was, it was kind of a wash. It either would have been voted down and I would just have to reintroduce it later or now it can go to the bylaws committee and we can actually 
uh, view it in in the future. But that is that is where we're at. I think a lot. There was definitely a big swing. There were obviously a lot of people were pretty shocked and blindsided after the the Monday session of the meeting with Frank getting booted and then them bringing back the the legacy board members who'd literally been on the board for ten plus years. So the fact that that things have now swung sort of full circle where Frank is once again a full member of the board and those guys are not coming back. It feels like a relief, but in a sense, it is just sort of a return to status quo. That's that's where we were before the January board meeting. So it's it's good that that stuff didn't come to pass. But at the same time, there's there's still a lot more to be done, including primarily getting Scott back on the board. And people are still emailing about it. The the protests are continuing, I think probably gaining steam. I have I've seen some numbers from January. The the protests are definitely they're definitely showing up in the numbers in terms of year over year activity. So uh, I don't know I don't know what exactly is going to happen, but I think the the obvious path forward is Scott needs to come back and we need to get we need to get these we need to get things under control. So I do see things being on a positive trajectory. Uh, I, I'll admit I after they booted Frank. Well, after they first booted Scott and then they booted Frank, I mean, everybody was saying, oh, well, Ben, watch out, you're next. And I I figured they were right. And so I had been, we had been doing some planning in the background around hosting an Area 6 match. And obviously that that planning is continuing. But now that I think it actually looks like I will probably keep my seat for a, a significant period of time, you know, until the fall when, when the plan is to have the match, we are full steam ahead with planning that. And I will have more details about that as soon as we're ready to announce them. And so if you want to stay up to date with official Area 6 type stuff, there is the Area 6 Facebook page. Look for the it's the actual page with the blue avatar. That's the one that's actually a page where I can post. Um, Jake Martins does also have ability. He's he, he does most of the posts there, but I'll be able to, to share announcements there as well. There is a, an Area 6. So it's Area 6 uspsa all one word on instagram that's uh, an account that i registered it has the same blue avatar it's so far it's just a couple placeholder posts but announcements will be there and then there is also we've stood up something else that we've been working on in the in the past few weeks is is standing up the area 6 uspsa.org website which is where all kinds of announcements and information will be about the area 6 match as well as things happening within area 6 so there is a uh, there are just a few placeholder pages there for the most part, but there is a blog. If you go to the blog section, you can subscribe. You can put your email in and get emailed when a new post is made and we'll post announcements there as well. So anybody that wants to keep up with when the when dates are announced, when the staff uh, information is announced, we are planning to do it as a as a, a staff reset match because that's the way major matches should be. So we'll definitely be be looking for for staff. If you want to be notified when all that happens and when the the pre-registration and when the registration dates are announced and all that, follow one of those one of those three spots and you'll be in the know. But that is that is all continuing apace. And tomorrow, so I'm recording this Friday night. Uh, tomorrow is the the first Sir Walter Club match of February. Well, it's the February Sir Walter Club match. First match I'll be shooting since production 15 goes into effect, and I'll be. I'll be there. I'm excited to, to go shoot it and hopefully I'll get to talk to some of you there and everybody else feel free to 
keep emailing, definitely keep the pressure up. There was a, a very interesting episode of the training group live. So it, I mean, it was, it was Joel Park interviewing Frank Rosie and Scott Arnberg, and they, they talk about a number of issues and answer the big question that a lot of people have asked me, which is, does Scott want to come back? And he unequivocally answers, yes, the work is not done. There's a, a ton more to do, and he he wants to be a part of of making things better. And I I think possibly more than ever, we we have a path to making that happen. So keep the pressure up, keep talking, email the board, email your your area director directly. If I'm your area director, send me an email. I'm happy to talk. And I, you know, we we'll make this happen. The the protests are definitely having their their effects felt. As I mentioned on a, a previous episode of the podcast, the the nature of fiduciary duty is it is a long-term duty. It is a duty to the long-term interest of the sport. And I unequivocally think that the people who are currently expressing their disapproval with the long-term direction of the sport are people who would stop paying USPSA one way or another in the long-term if things don't turn around. So my genuine and fervent hope is we can actually turn things around in the short term get everybody who is boycotting back on board because they see that things are headed in the right direction and actually have the, have the ability to turn things around and make a difference. And I think bringing Scott back is, is still to this day, a completely intrinsic part of that. So how we, how we get there again, uh, a lot of it comes, depends on what we hear back from the, uh, from the Delaware attorney, but the, the whole notion of, uh, of him being removed in the first place. I think now that now that the members have gotten to see the kind of things that happen on these board meetings, I think you can kind of fill in the fill in the details about what it was like on the December board meeting when uh, when they kicked him out. So we will go from here. But that wraps up this episode of Short Course. If you want to get in touch with me, my email is Ben at Talk to you next time.